You know, when I was a, a kid growing up in Ohio, one of uh, favorite things that, w- that we did as a family, um, and, you know, I, at, originally I thought favorite things we do in December, but it was one of the favorite things that we did all year was to drive around and look at the Christmas tree lights. Did you guys do that when you were, were younger? We lived really close to this place called Ludlow Falls. It's a little village of about 200 or so. But thousands of people would drive there every year because the folks who who lived there would decorate the waterfalls uh, and put on this incredible uh, display. Last week, Peg and I had some friends that were kind of uh, fire refugees from uh, from Ojai, and we went out to dinner with them one evening, and afterwards we decided we'd drive around Moore Park and look at the, the Christmas uh, lights there as well. When it comes to, to Christmas, it's not just the lights that I, I love, though. It's, it's also the music, the, the Christmas carols, the candles, the, the cookies, the, the Christmas concerts, the Hallelujah Chorus. Uh, Christmas cards, the nativity scenes, the wreaths, the Christmas trees. And I always love how our worship center looks at Christmas time. It's just, it's just so beautiful. Um, like a lot of you, I think that Christmas is one of the most beautiful times of year. And the question I want to ask this morning is, why is that? I mean, if you think about it, it's like... the the darkest time of year, um, why is it so beautiful? Where does all that beauty come from, and, and what does it have to tell us about ourselves, about God? This week, we're continuing our series on Jesus and the truth, the goodness, and the beauty of Christmas by taking a look at where the beauty of Christmas comes from. And I want to tell you something, I'm really excited about this message this morning because I have never done a message on beauty before. And I want you to think about it. Have you ever heard anybody ever do a message on beauty before? I never have. And I can't figure out why that is. I'm sure that you guys have all heard the saying, beauty is in the eye of the beholder, right. But is it? That's a question I want to look at today. Is it really in the eye of the beholder? Now, I get, I totally get that each of us has his or her own preferences and tastes. And so you might, you know, like one piece of art a little more than you like another one and so on. I also get that if you really love someone or if you really love something deeply, you have a deeper appreciation for their beauty that others might not see. As when a young bride or groom tells us that they are married to the most beautiful or the most handsome person in the world. But is beauty just a subjective judgment? Is it just a matter of taste or preference? What's beautiful for you isn't beautiful for me. Is it really just in the eye of, of the beholder? A couple of weeks ago, when we started this series, we were looking at truth. And we saw how, um, even though a lot of people believe, well, that's true for you, but not for me, there really is such a thing as objective truth. 
gravity is a thing. No matter what your opinion of it might be, it's a thing. Historical events, they can be interpreted differently, but that doesn't mean they didn't happen. There is such a thing as objective truth. Last week, we saw uh, much the same thing with, um, with moral judgments, with, with good and, and bad. There are some things that people universally uh, agree are right or wrong. Neglecting children or abusing children is bad. And everybody agrees with, with that. Now the Bible teaches, and our experience confirms, that truth and goodness aren't in the eye of the beholder. Does the Bible have anything to tell us about beauty? And as a matter of fact, not surprisingly, it does. One of the things that the Bible tells us is that God actually reveals himself to us in the beauty that's around us. God reveals himself to us in the beauty that's around us. The Apostle Paul actually makes this point when he writes in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, for since the creation of the world, so dial it all the way back to the beginning of time, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly seen. Have been clearly seen seen, being understood from what's been made so that people are without excuse. One of the the many invisible qualities that God reveals to us in creation, one of the things that he reveals to us in nature is his beauty. This is why people are partly onto something. You know, this thing about half-truths, you know, they're half-true. Um, people are partly onto something when they say, I worship God in nature. I say partly because more often than, than not when people say that, it's not an altogether convincing excuse for skipping worship. Besides which, playing golf or a walk in the woods isn't the same thing as actually worshiping God, is it? Though it can, on occasion, get us thinking about God, right? It's different than worship. You know, I sometimes think about how God theoretically could have created the world without color. God theoretically could have created the world without music. God theoretically could have created food so that it really didn't taste good, even though it might nourish us. I mean, think about it. Sunsets don't have to be beautiful, but they are. And I know you guys think that they're beautiful because you post pictures of them on Facebook all the time, Instagram. And why is that? Why are they beautiful? Because God reveals himself to us in the beauty that's around us. And what that tells us is this, that God is beautiful. 
and that God delights in beauty. Uh, King David talks about God's beauty in, uh, in Psalm 27. Beautiful, beautiful psalm. He writes, one thing I ask from the Lord. This only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord. To seek him in his temple. See, David knew it. God's beautiful. God is beautiful. And God is the creator. God is the composer. God is the author. God is the artist behind everything that is beautiful. Even those things that we create as kind of sub-creators under God, uh, we're able to do that because God uh, gave us the ability to do that. We, we see the, God's love of beauty uh, all throughout Scripture. This is one of the reasons why I, I said it kind of surprised me. I've never talked about this topic before, beauty, and I've never heard anyone else talk about beauty and its relationship to God and the Christian faith. When it's all throughout Scripture, from Genesis chapter 1, where God creates the heavens and the earth, creation unfolds at the command of God. And where does God place Adam and Eve? In a beautiful garden. From Genesis chapter 1 all the way to the Bible's consummation in Revelation chapter 22, where the new Jerusalem descends from heaven like a bride adorned for her husband. Ecclesiastes 3.1 says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. He's made every person beautiful. He's also set eternity in the human heart. See, beauty is a major but often overlooked topic it absolutely permeates the pages of Scripture. Uh, now, think about this for a second. I know that a lot of you have, uh, actually a lot of you right now, read the Bible every single day. You do you know, one of these 365-day Bibles. One of the things we do here at Stonebridge when you become a member of the church is, you know, 10 Class 101, I give everybody a 365-day Bible so we have a chance to spend time in God's Word every day. I also know that some people have tried to read the Bible all the way through, starting with the book of Genesis, and along about the middle of Exodus, things start to bog down, and a lot of people go, what is the relevance of this? And so they sort of lose interest and, and drift away from it. But I want you to think about this. Again, the, the idea that beauty absolutely permeates the pages of the Bible. Here we are in the middle of Exodus. What other possible explanation is there for the minutely detailed instructions in Exodus chapters 26 through 28 on what kind and what color of curtains were meant to hang in the tabernacle of the Lord. For the entrance to the tent, remember the, the tabernacle is, is sort of a movable um, worship place as people were, were in the wilderness. For the entrance to the tent, make a curtain of purple, blue, and scarlet yarn, and finely twisted linen, the work of an embroiderer. 
And it just goes on and on like this. It, it tells us what kind of garments the priests were to, to wear. Make the ephod of gold and of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn of finely twisted linen, the work of skilled hands. By the way, blue and purple and scarlet look so awesome together. Even it, God even commands how the hem of the priest's robes were to be decorated. Make pomegranates of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn around the hem of the robe with gold bells between them. Alternating pomegranates and gold bells made of the, these colors. See, God is beautiful. God is the creator. God is the composer. God is the author. God is the artist behind everything that is beautiful. Even God's commands, as we see here in Exodus, even God's instructions grow out of God's beauty, God's appreciation, God's love of beauty. Everything that's beautiful, everything of beauty, ultimately comes from God and ultimately points us back to God. Which is to say, maybe beauty isn't in the eye of the beholder. Maybe beauty is in the eye of the one to whom we are all beholden for every beautiful thing. But, but that raises an interesting question. How do we know that something is beautiful? How do we know that? Well, God has given us a mind for the beauty that's around us. God created us that way. I mean, what, that means is, what that means is that you and I don't decide what's beautiful. And you and I don't define what is beautiful. We recognize what is beautiful. And why is that? Because we have been created in the image and likeness of God. Just as we, we are able, you know, the, the, one of the reasons that we, um, we have science is because the universe functions in a certain way and it just so happens, because I, in my judgment, I think this is a solid argument, the reason our brains function in this way is because we were created in the image and likeness of God who created the universe. We're able to understand the universe because God created us to understand it. We're able to recognize goodness because God is good, we're created in God's image and likeness, and we were created that way so that we would recognize goodness when we see it. We recognize beauty because God created us that way, to enjoy beauty as he enjoys um, beauty. Um, now, that's not to say everybody has the same... Um, awareness of beauty necessarily. You know, I think of, um, I've visited a lot of, of museums over the years, and one of the things I've always found interesting is when uh, school kids go into museums, just to see how the kids behave and stuff like that. And, 
There are some kids that will go up to paintings and they'll look at it and they'll talk to their teachers about it and say, that's, you know, really pretty. I like the colors in that. What a neat hat that person's wearing, you know, that kind of stuff. And then other kids will be on their cell phones going, this is so boring. Now the question is, uh, is beauty in the eye of the beholder? Uh, are they judging the paintings or are the paintings judging them? This next part, when I, when I started doing the research on, on this morning's message, this pretty much blew my mind. Interesting, a great many things that are judged to be beautiful share a common characteristic that occurs with remarkable, extraordinary regularity in nature. It's something called the golden number. Golden number in Greek is phi. It's 1.1618. The ancient idea of the golden rectangle was derived from it. It's related to something called the Fibonacci numbers or Fibonacci sequence. Now let me tell you what that is. You guys know this? Okay, so you start out with two numbers, one and one. And you add those two numbers together, what do you get? Two. Great job. <laughs> you take the last two numbers in that sequence what, sequence, what are they? One and two. What are one and two? Three. You take the next two numbers, two and three, what do you get? Five. Three and five. Eight. Eight and fifteen. Or eight and five. Thirteen. And on and on that sequence repeats. Now, the reason that's interesting is, if you graph it out, this is what it looks like. And we see that pattern repeated in patterns made by pine cones, pineapples, seashells, sunflowers, breaking waves, human facial characteristics, and even galaxies. Hold on. It also shows up in human-designed objects, including great works of art like the Mona Lisa and the creation of Adam on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, as well as in architecture with examples from such disparate structures as the Parthenon in Athens, the Taj Mahal in India, the Cathedral of Notre Dame in Paris, and the UN building in New York City. The language that God uses almost everywhere in nature resonates with, and it awakens something inside the human heart such that we recognize something is beautiful when we see it. Do you remember a couple of years ago? This was so sad. This is so sad. There was this church in Europe someplace. I, uh, sorry, I, I can't name it right now, but there was a church in, in Europe where um, there was a, a fresco of uh, Jesus that was on the wall. These frescoes are made of, of an egg wash and and pigments and this kind of stuff. And this dear sweet lady who was, you know, kind of worked at the church and everything says, oh, this is, it's getting dirty. I need to, you know, kind of 
clean it and stuff. And so she cleaned this picture of Jesus and it ended up being this kind. Do you remember this thing? So what had once been this beautiful picture, and part of the reason it was so beautiful is because it followed the Fibonacci sequence as a human face does, got all distorted, it didn't look like Jesus anymore. Kind of scary. <laughs> the language that God uses almost everywhere in nature just resonates with, awakens something within the human heart. That's why we recognize things as beautiful. God has given us a mind for the beauty that is around us. As King David says in, in Psalm 19, I think it's so cool that as you think about the, the spiral galaxies that are out there, even before we had telescopes to know what they looked like, God had put them out there. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. You know, that's an amazing thing about beauty. Without there, a word being spoken, God is speaking to us. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from yet them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. Isn't that amazing? This was King David who said that. By the way, Michelangelo's stunning statue of King David in Florence, Italy, is another example of a masterpiece that follows the same uh, Fibonacci sequence. So why is Christmas such a beautiful season? It's because God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is beautiful. It's because the world that God has made is beautiful. It's because God in His beauty and in His truth and goodness, in His love for us, in His mercy, sent His Son. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us full of grace and truth. And He lived a beautiful life. We celebrate His incarnation. Christmas is beautiful because God has given us a mind to recognize the beauty that is God and that is all around us. You know, it's, it's interesting that, that Christians today, and I will, uh, I definitely include myself in this, um, we really do um, tend to focus an awful lot on God's truth and goodness. I mean, most, most of the messages that you will hear in church are about God's truth and goodness. Most of, um, uh, of apologetics that you hear when people make a reasoned uh, argument for the Christian faith as they try to share their faith with other people. It's all kind of based on truth and goodness, on the moral imperatives of Jesus and Christianity or how it makes sense, the case for Christ, you know. All too often we neglect to share the beauty of Jesus and the beauty of, the, of Christianity. 
And it, it's kind of interesting because we're, we're sort of uh, quick to judge, you know, those Christians in Europe who spent all, those money, all that money building cathedrals. And yet, you know, could they have been on to something? When I was in, in college, um, the first uh, English literature class that I took, um, man, I wish I could take it again because I wasn't the best student that first semester. Um, but I remember reading a book um, by Fyodor Dostoevsky, and I learned about his life and you know, what that, that was all like and everything. And I loved that book so much that the summer between my freshman and sophomore years in college, I just decided I was going to read everything I could by Dostoevsky, all of his novels and stuff. And one of them that, that I read was this novel he wrote called um, The Idiot. And spoilers, in case you ever read it, um, the, uh, the title... The idiot refers to the protagonist, a, a guy named Prince Mishkin, who is a Christ figure. And he observes somewhere in this, this novel, he says, beauty will save the world. Beauty will save the world. Now, when you hear that, you may think, well, that's really a, a naive thing to say, isn't it? But as um, French philosopher Blaise Pascal noted in a, an essay he wrote called The Art of Persuasion, you know, everyone is almost always led to believe, not through proof, but through that which is attractive. The mind and heart are like gateways through which truths are received by the soul. But very few enter through the mind. And what that means is this, that beauty is a pathway that points us to God. One of the best ways we have to share our faith with other people is to simply invite them to experience the beauty of Jesus and the beauty of worship, the beauty of Christmas with us. You know, a lot of us wonder, you know, we, we talk with, you know, folks about our faith and sometimes it ends up with uh, an argument or we just uh, agree to disagree or, or whatever. It's because we're leading with the truth. And it's not, you know, when, when people hear ideas that don't jibe with them, their own, they push back and they argue with them. Or when they hear about the goodness, you know, right and wrong that uh, Scripture has to, to tell us about, it can make them feel guilty or judged or like we're, you know, self-righteous or whatever, and they'll push back on that. But beauty is different. When, when we lead with the tr truth of, of Christianity, it often leads to arguments. When we lead with goodness, the moral imperatives, it comes across as condemning or self-righteous, but when we simply share the beauty of Jesus, the beauty of his teaching, the, 
the beauty of his life, the beauty of, of his accepting others whom the world rejected, the beauty of his self-giving love, the beauty of his birth, his life, yeah, even the beauty of his death and resurrection. When we share the beauty of God's love, there's nothing to argue about. There's nothing to feel guilty about. There's only something to experience. And by God's grace, enter into and be moved and even changed by. I, I mentioned this knowing that next weekend, we're going to be celebrating the beauty of Jesus and the beauty of his birth in a really beautiful way. Saturday evening, you know, 5.30 service, Sunday morning, 9 o'clock, we're going to be celebrating our festival of lessons and carols. And it's, it's a great service. One of the, the things that makes it so awesome is that in place of, uh, of a message done by the pastor, the Bible just speaks for itself. And we get to experience in the beautiful words of Scripture the truth and the goodness and the beauty of the birth of Christ. And then on Sunday afternoon and, and evening at 4 o'clock, 5.30 and 7 o'clock, we get together here for our Christmas Eve candlelight worship service. What, I think it's the most beautiful service we do all year long. And again, we have an opportunity to experience the truth and the goodness and the beauty of Christmas. I really want to encourage you to, to bring people you love and let them enter into the beauty that is the birth of Christ. Well, truth, goodness, and beauty all come from God. And all three point us back to God. I really do think Dostoevsky, Prince Mishkin, might be right. It is beauty that will save the world. The beauty of Jesus. It's beauty that will save the world as it opens human hearts to God and to the salvation that he offers us through Jesus Christ. So share the beauty of Jesus.